This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guest is Joe Probasco and Dr. Matthew Tapey. They are from the Catholic Jewish Studies Program from St. Leo. Did I get that right? Yeah, the Center for Catholic Jewish Studies at St. Leo University. This is a big anniversary. I'm surprised you didn't bring cake. Yeah, well, you know, we haven't actually finished all the details yet, so we can maybe add a cake if you would like us to add a cake to the event. You know, that's something we could still squeeze in. It is our silver anniversary. We've been around for 25 years. So Center for Catholic Jewish Studies is an academic center at St. Leo. St. Leo is one of the oldest Catholic institutions in Florida and Benedictine University. And the center was begun there in 1998. And so, yeah, we're turning 25 and excited to celebrate. And we're lucky to have Joe on our national advisory board. And it's just been a real pleasure for us to work together and to be planning this dinner, the celebration, which hopefully we'll get the message out about our center. We're talking about Jewish and Catholic relations and Christian relations. And I never understood as a Catholic how other Catholics can view Jewish people in a bad light. That makes no sense. The anti-Semitism makes no sense for a Catholic. How do you reconcile hatred for Jewish people? Well, I appreciate just acknowledging the anti-Semitism. It is something that, as you've probably read, and I think we've all seen, there's been a substantial uptick over the last several years, just generally in the community. And I think what this is, is an opportunity to look at the relationship between the Catholic Church, particularly, and the Jewish community, which is Dr. Tapey shared. Nosrotate was issued in 1965 by Vatican II, which is recent history in terms of the relationship between our two communities. And this is an opportunity for the Catholic Church and the Jewish community who have you know, certainly had its ups and downs in its relationship over the years to reconcile and to really have an opportunity, which I think is exactly something that both of our faiths are deeply entrenched in, is reconciliation and forgiveness. One of the, I guess, arch points of the center are to bring the Catholic community, the Jewish community, the Christian community in dialogue to kind of tackle some of these conversations. And I think the question you raise in particular about anti-Semitism is one we frequently get from our Christian friends. I don't get it. A lot of it we have to wrestle with stems from some of the liturgy within the Catholic Church. It's kind of the the tough digging to get out and, and work through that's been there for centuries. And I think most people presently aren't even aware that it's there. Is it some of the texts within the liturgy? You know, I'm glad that Joe brought up the Second Vatican Council, really, because that is the place where you begin to see from a kind of a theological perspective the need to address some of the neurologic issues that were present. I mean, the positive language in Nostra Aetate, which is the church's declaration on the church's relationship to non-Christian religions, the positive language that was there was actually built by thinkers during the war. They built it as they were writing letters to each other, actively trying to resist Hitler's Nazification of Christians. So, you know, Hitler was not a neutral person with regard to Christianity. He wanted to see the churches Nazified. And so he wanted to see pastors swearing allegiance to himself. He wanted to see the Nazis in control. There was a lot of pressure, for instance, on the Vatican for these things to go forward. In that context, you've got certain thinkers, theological heroes, really, that I think are maybe neglected today. We could take some time to look at them, had actually been able to begin to construct positive ideas about Jews and Judaism. For instance, the idea that Jewish people remain dearly beloved of God. 
Now, this comes from Romans chapter 11, 28 through 29. That has always been there. But unfortunately, there were some other negative ideas that had to do with the crucifixion that were more present. What kind of ideas? To put some real concrete expression on it, the idea of a collective guilt, the idea that somehow the people as a whole, our Jewish neighbors, Jewish people in history were related in a negative way to the passion of Christ, which is obviously totally against, you know, what scripture would say when you see Jesus say, forgive those present for they know not what they do. And they, I think, especially being the Romans, we tend to think sometimes of that event as being somehow something unrelated to Rome. But first and foremost, it's Pontius Pilate, and he's the one that's mentioned in the creed. And so there were some other things, though, that were present that caused that direction, the readings to go a different direction, a negative direction that impact our Jewish neighbors in unfortunate ways. And so we see at the Second Vatican Council a real realignment with Scripture so that some of those negative ideas were directly repudiated. And so anti-Semitism is repudiated by the Second Vatican Council. It's condemned. And so is racism as well in Nostra Aetate. But it's stuff that's still with us. You know, the Holocaust Museum right here in St. Petersburg was actually vandalized in May of 2021. And our center at St. Leo has unfortunately had to put out some statements. We put one out on this event, condemning the event, scrawled across the building. It said, Jews are guilty. And they drew a swastika. Now, the Tampa Bay Times missed what that message was about. They did a great job by directing attention to the fact that anti-Semitism is present. But what does that mean to write guilty there? You need the resources of a theological and religious understanding to see some of these historical problems. Bishop Parks was a leader there, and he actually reached out to the Holocaust Museum and called and said that he was stood in support of them. And moments like that, it's really important. You know, my students are, like you, surprised to see that anti-Semitism would be a problem and why would this ever be an issue? Because, as you said, Jesus is Jewish. And yet at the same time, it seems like this pernicious sort of negative view of our Jewish neighbors just kind of keeps coming up and returning in ways that require Catholics to be vigilant and to, you know, speak out and be against those sort of things when they see it. Mel Gibson had the movie The Passion of the Christ. And if I remember correctly, the scene where Jesus is nailed to the cross, he is one of the nailers. Don't even think that the Jewish people crucified Christ or the Romans. It doesn't matter who crucified Christ. It was our sins that crucified him. So, Joe, talk a little bit about this need for us to recognize is our sins that caused the crucifixion. And also, what does your department do to foster healing between Christianity and Judaism? I think principally education and dialogue. I think a lot of these things, in terms of how the church and the Jewish community were depicted historically, most people aren't aware of. I think within the Jewish community, I would argue we are well aware of it. It's been something that's been present as we navigate the world as Jews. It's hard to walk through Europe as a Jewish individual and not share with your family, here's how the Jewish community is depicted, here's how the church has been depicted, and it's certainly historically not been in a positive light. And I think as you bring those issues to people's attention, Presently, they're shocked. Usually, never knew that, never noticed that. Why was that? Why is that? And I think particularly, you know, in today's community, that's not something that, as you mentioned, as Dr. Tapin mentioned with his students, most people are shocked by. I mean, you've got Catholic neighbors, you've got Jewish neighbors, you've got Muslim neighbors, and I think, you know, that's the beauty of the American pluralistic, multicultural society we live in. But that's not always been the case. So I think principally, it's making people aware. It's making people understand the history how we got here, 
and that history doesn't bind our future path, right? I think that's something that certainly from the one of my teachings that I enjoy of Genesis from a gentleman named Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who was the chief rabbi in the United Kingdom for a long period of time, was looking at the stories of Genesis as a series of sibling rivalries. And I think the point he always makes is we have to see how the story ends. Because we all look at the stories very briefly, and you always forget how they end. And I think if you remember the story of Isaac and Ishmael, Ishmael gets cast off. But where they end is at Abraham's grave together. Jacob and Esau, where they end, is embracing each other together. Joseph and his brothers, where they end, is embracing each other. And so you have a story of fracture, dispute, and reconciliation. And I think you take it a point further and go all the way back to Cain and Abel, and you see what happens when we don't have forgiveness and reconciliation. So I think we are taught that this is a natural cycle of things, that just because we've had the history that the two communities have doesn't set the past. And I'd like to think for us as a community, Jewish and Catholic, we're going to look at the end of the relationship to really give bearing on, on how we've grown together in our relationship that's spanned thousands of years. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops has been a proponent of these dialogues. So Dr. Tapey, can you tell us a little bit about some of the successes that your program has had over the years? We're talking about the St. Leo University Center for Catholic and Jewish Studies. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. And to connect it a little bit, your question, I would like to kind of answer it by maybe steering back toward the movie you mentioned before, Gibson's Passion of the Christ. One way to think about our educational goals at the center is to think about revisiting stories from scripture, revisiting stories from our Christian history, and thinking about them in new lights. For instance, in that movie, sometimes if you take a close look at the Pharisees, how they're depicted, they can look kind of scary almost in the way the movie portrays them. This is a common thing if you actually look at some different passion films. One of the things that the U.S. bishops have helped us to do, and Bishop Parks in particular, has actually helped us to steer toward a more positive description of the Pharisees in the scripture. And so, for instance, when Catholics think about Pharisees, they should try really hard first and foremost to think of Nicodemus. Think of Nicodemus approaching Jesus in the night, having a conversation with him about theology. That's really the picture of the Pharisees that is, I think, a more helpful one and more true really to the tradition. Jesus's proximity to the Pharisees is very close. They're both very concerned about proper interpretation of Moses in the first century. So Bishop Parks actually helped work with the Center for Catholic Jewish Studies to bring in two top-notch scholars, biblical scholars, one Catholic from the Pontifical Biblical Institute, Joseph Sievers, and then another, Amy Jill Levine. And they did a whole workshop for Diocese of St. Petersburg clergy up at Bethany Center one afternoon. We stayed there from nine to three, and we just read lots of scripture together and talked about, you know, how do we read these scriptures? How do we see them? What do we see? What do we not see? Sometimes you can tend to read them a certain way and not realize, oh, there's a positive reading too. We don't have to just think of woe to the Pharisees. We can also think of Nicodemus. And we can think of, for instance, others, even in Acts that Paul mentions that are positive light. So there's a complexity in scripture 
that is really rich and it's a resource for us if we turn to it and revisit it with these kind of refreshed eyes and, and realizing that, man, there's ways that some of these texts can be actually read against certain people. And we wouldn't want it to do that, especially after Nostra Aetate, Second Vatican Council section four says that the Jewish people should not be presented in a negative light, which is like, wow, that's great. The Jewish people should not be presented in a negative light in Christian teaching and preaching. And so that's a great principle and just one example of sort of a new way of doing religious education through a center. We just try to maybe ask people to come on board for dialogues meet us in the community. Sometimes we have programs in a parish or a synagogue where people can get together and do dialogue on these topics. Joe, can you tell us you have a big event coming up in late October? Tell us about how to get involved and where we can learn more about St. Leo's Catholic Jewish Studies program. Silver Anniversary Dinner is Thursday, October 26, 2023 at the Sean and Brian Glazer Jewish Community Center. The keynote speaker, the Eternal Light Award recipient, will be Rabbi David Fox Sandmel, who's done a tremendous amount of work, and I would argue his life's work has been in the interfaith space and particularly focusing on interreligious affairs. There will be a response by Father Dennis McManus, who is the consultant for Jewish affairs for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. We encourage anyone that is of interest to attend the dinner. The information is available on the St. Leo University Center for Catholic Jewish Studies website. Tickets can be purchased. If there are those that are inclined and interested in sponsoring the dinner, certainly that is something that we'd be gracious to accept. But I think it'll be a good evening of getting our Catholic community, our Jewish community together in one big room. And it's just a nice time to have those types of conversations. I'm bringing my Judaism, which I would describe as probably a strong black cup of coffee. And Dr. Tapey will bring his Catholicism and we'll learn from each other. And there are times we don't agree and there are times we violently agree. But I think that's part of it. And I think the more that, like anything, you respect each other, you develop friendships, you develop relationships. And when we're challenged about the success of the interfaith dialogue, I always point to the successes that you see in the community, which are you go to a hospital. You know, that is all of us bringing our respective faiths to taking care of patients and making sure people are healed. And that is something where I think, too, if I view Dr. Tapey's Catholicism and his love for his faith through the same lens that I view my own, it's pretty profound. And it's like, wow, like there's something very amazing about your faith that gets you up every morning and gets you through the day. And hopefully he sees the same from his friends in the Jewish community. The interreligious dialogue framework and goals since the Second Vatican Council, especially, is very much directed toward mutual understanding. Any final thoughts? To the community, we invite you to join us. We invite all those to join us. Though it is a Catholic Jewish dialogue and Catholic Jewish studies center, it's a center that's mission is for all people of goodwill. And so everyone is welcome to come and understand about this history and the significance of trying to understand and respect one another in a time where it seems things are quite polarized and people are kind of on different sides. You know, our center tries to seek a common ground of mutual understanding and listening to one another. Our guests today have been Joe Provasco and Dr. Matthew Tapey. This is How We See It. You're listening to How We See It, a look at issues and ministries that are having an impact in our community and world. If you missed any of today's program, you'll find a copy on Spirit FM's SoundCloud page. There's a link to it at myspiritfm.com. Now, back to our program. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guest is Paul Porter, Paul is from Reach Out, Speak Out, which deals with domestic violence issues. 
So, Paul, how did you get involved in this really horrific issue? Well, both my wife and I have experienced domestic violence, me in my childhood and her in her first marriage. We had worked very closely with the Spring of Tampa Bay, also with the Family Justice Center, which was out on Florida Avenue. Unfortunately, the Family Justice Center in 2014 lost its funding, and it was kind of a clearinghouse for everything from providing meals to property locations to legal assistance to counseling. It was kind of a a full-serve facility for domestic violence victims both men and women, because a lot of people think of domestic violence as just women. One in four women and one in seven men experience domestic violence at some time in their life. So when we heard that the Family Justice Center had lost its funding, we decided let's start up our own ministry back in 2014, just coming up on 10 years next year. We decided that we could help out as best we can, and we started with one family, It grew to multiple families, and now we're actually assisting five different families at the same time, just out of a small ministry that started on our back porch in 2014. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're dealing with domestic violence, is the biggest problem trying to encourage a person to leave a violent situation? Absolutely true. Many people, they're afraid to leave. They don't know what's going to happen. They're afraid for their children if they have them. They don't know how the other spouse or other living partner is going to react. So they're very fearful of doing that. At Reach Out Speak Out, we've put together a package called the Hurricane. And what that is, is it shows all of the things that the domestic violence victim needs to prepare before they leave. It's very much like preparing for a hurricane. All of your important papers, all of your insurance, all of your financial records, you need to have all of that ready before you leave because in many cases, the person is leaving with nothing more than the clothes on their back. And they need to have some things with them because not only are they leaving with virtually nothing, but there's a very good chance they'll never go back there again. So they have to be prepared, and we try and educate through Reach Out, Speak Out. We have a five-year program. We have some uh, that are on that. We have some that just need some counseling. We have some that just need some encouragement, some that have some financial needs. And when we talk about financial needs, we're talking about day-to-day necessities. We had one family in particular. They had to go to the clubhouse at their home in order to use the restrooms because there was no toilet paper at their home. That's how sad the situation can be sometimes. So We try and step in and help as best we can. One success story that I'll share with you, we had a woman who had three children, and they were on our program, and she went from not even being able to talk, almost just so shut down. Eventually, she started opening up a little bit. She actually went back to school. She got a degree, and now she is working in Minnesota at a women's shelter. So it's come full circle for her. She went from a domestic violence victim to getting back on her feet and already now giving back and a profession in the counseling area of domestic violence. As have you and your wife as well. Absolutely. This is our way of giving back to the community. It is a faith-based ministry. We deal with a lot of people that are in the church. We have things like palm cards here that we leave in the women's restroom. 
Therefore, they can take one. It gives all of the signs of domestic violence. It shows how you can tell if you're a victim. It talks about our mission statement and how to get in touch with us. And we've had a lot of success with people that aren't comfortable maybe going to their pastor or their priest, but they are comfortable with contacting someone that can help and understand what they're going through. And it's completely anonymous. Absolutely. We never give out names of victims. Every person that works for Reach Out, Speak Out is a volunteer. We are totally nonprofit, and the money that we raise goes to the families. I can envision somebody listening to us right now and wanting to take that first step of just Mm -hmm. calling you, but then what if their quote-unquote loved one, and I use that phrase lightly because a loved one shouldn't be abusing, but anyway, what if they get caught trying to call you? So what do you recommend to somebody like that? We always recommend, we have a number of ways in addition to calling us that we have a Facebook page, we have a website reachoutspeakout.org, that people can submit their information online, and then we arrange to meet that person in a public place where they feel comfortable and talk about what they're going through, what their options are, what their needs are, and how we may be able to help them. We have trained professional Christian counselors at our disposal that are willing to work with these ladies and men. We have a male pastor who does a lot of counseling with men that are going through this. Do you have any idea percentage-wise how many are suffering from physical abuse versus mental and emotional? It's really very close. It's almost breaks down into a third mental, a third physical, and a third both, where they're having both emotional and physical. It's one of those things as far as age group, race, income level, education level, it knows no boundaries. There's people of all different walks of life. There are people sitting in church that look like they're very well off, driving a very nice car, living in a very nice house with a very good income. But they are victims just like the person that doesn't know how they're going to pay their rent next month. Wow. So what are the requirements for someone to reach out to you? There really are no requirements. It is a faith-based ministry They can reach out to us, and then once they do, we have an application that they would fill out. And there are certain things that are required. You have to be actively looking for employment. You have to be attending a church at least once a month in order to qualify. But it's not a stringent application. It's one that's very doable, but it shows us if the person is really serious about getting help. We have people that have come to us for just a handout, and they say, I really need $5,000. Can you help me? We are trying to get them back on their feet, working in an area that they can not only feel good about themselves, but give back to the community. Can you tell us a little bit about what is considered physical violence? Is grabbing somebody's wrist, would that be considered a form of violence? It is a form of violence. Yes, it is. It's basically being forced against your will. If someone is forcing you, holding on to your arm, putting their hands on you, putting their hands around your neck, pushing against you, All of these things are domestic violence. How about the other side, which is emotional violence? 
arguments can turn ugly in the snap of a finger. They sure can. And that's a little trickier because there are people that are very good at manipulating. There are people that are very good at, woe is me, if you leave me, what's going to happen to our son or daughter? You can't possibly leave. So that is where the emotional comes in, where the person is actually saying, oh, I got to stick this out. I got to put myself through this for the benefit of our children or for the benefit of our marriage. But that's where our counseling comes in, because our counseling can sort through this and say, you really need to do something about this. This is what we recommend. Or they may say, you're okay. Just take a few easy steps, and I think you'll be fine. But the one-on-one counseling, which is totally free, is something that is really beneficial. Do you ever have cases where the couple stays together? Yeah, we do. Unfortunately, we've had one woman that went back to her husband seven times Mm. and just keeps on doing that. But on the other side, we had a woman who actually moved away to Nebraska and Reach Out, Speak Out is helping her with her financial needs getting readjusted in her new location. There are some that just will never be able to be helped, but the vast majority Reach Out, Speak Out has been able to help in one way or the other. We have to take just a little bit of an aside here because your voice is so familiar. (laughs) Why? Well, if people have ever been to a Tampa Bay Lightning game or an Orlando Magic game, I'm the arena voice of both of those teams. So I'm the guy that announces who scored the goal and who uh, got the penalties and who made the basket and all of those things. So you're the, it's a Stamkos goal. I mean, you sound so much better doing it than I. Lightning goal scored by number 91, Steven Stamkos. Oh, is that done live or is it all recorded? That's all live. Good for you. Yeah, that's all live, which is something about radio. Unlike social media, you can hit delete and go back and change it. But in radio, as you know, it's out there and nothing yeah. you can do about it. It can get ugly. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. You ever have any boogers, for lack of a better word? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there was one when uh, in the NBA when I didn't realize my mic was on, and we had a player at the free throw line, and he missed a free throw, and I said, Nick, would you please make a free throw? Oh, my And gosh. all 20,000 people heard it, including the player, who turned and looked at me, and we laugh about it to this day. He's still with the Orlando Magic. But, oh, good for uh, you. You just look for a hole to crawl in, but there's nothing you can do about it. That's live. All right, back to the topic. Listeners, how can they help reach out, speak out? We have so many different ways that people can help us. And as simple as addressing envelopes, we are looking for auxiliary members, which help us with our fundraisers. They can help us through things like Amazon Smile uh, listing Reach Out, Speak Out as their charity that they would like to help. We have a script program where you can buy gift cards through our script program for the exact face value that you would pay. And we get anywhere from 8 to sometimes 16 to 20% of that purchase we get to Reach Out, Speak Out. We have a big function coming up on October the 8th called Purple Passion. It's our biggest fundraiser of the year. It's a silent auction at the New Identities Hair Salon on Amberley Road in New Tampa. We're going to have well over 100 items up for bid, everything from gift certificates to getaways to baskets. Great way to start your holiday shopping. That'll be coming up on October the 8th from 2 until 3.30 in the afternoon at New Identities Hair Salon. 
Are there support groups available for those thinking about taking the steps to leave a violent relationship? There absolutely are. And that's where we help to put them in the right direction and help them to make a decision. The final decision is always the victim's decision, but we can counsel, we can help them with some things that they should be thinking about and help them with preparation if they decide that this is what they need to do. You are not going to tell a victim what they need to do. They need to make the decision. Right. We can make a suggestion. We can say what we think, and that's where our counselors come in. They can help identify the current situation, just how serious it is. But the final decision is always with the victim. They have to be the one to take that first step. We are not meant to be in relationships like that. Absolutely. God did not intend us to live in those kind of conditions. And in some cases, I mean, we see it on the news uh, almost every night that there's some sort of domestic violence situation and people are losing their lives, they're losing their families, they're losing their health, all because of this. And that's not what God intended, Deacon. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, one more time. Where can we learn more about Reach Out, Speak Out? The best way is to go to reachoutspeakout.org. And it just sounds exactly like it is. Just put in reachoutspeakout.org and you can get all of the information there. Reach out to us there. We do Facebook posts. If you put in Reach Out, Speak Out on Facebook, you can go to our page and we have things posted about three to four times a week. There's a different post there that will help with information and things to think about. Again, we would love to have as many people as possible come out to our Purple Passion. All of the funds go to the families, and we're trying to help families that are in a tough part in their life. And if we can help out a little bit, great way to start your holiday shopping, and you can get things at a discount for the total value of what they are. And again, it's October the 8th from 2 until 3.30 p.m. at the New Identities Hair Salon, 15307 Amberley Drive in New Tampa, 33647, 2 to 3.30 on Sunday, October 8th. Our guest today is Paul Porter from Reach Out, Speak Out, and this is How We See It. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash how we see it.